Safety Third is a production of Duct Tape Then Beer. Okay, so I am currently driving right now. I just finished a game of lacrosse and I smell absolutely disgusting. So, and I think I just maybe pulled my goddamn hamstring. So I am quickly going to run to my house, uh, put some ibuprofen in my body, maybe ice super quickly, take a quick shower because I smell like low tide. Uh, and then I'm going to meet this woman that I don't know. I met her on the internet or I know her from the internet. I don't, that's not a thing. And if it sounds like I'm frantic right now, it's because I am. And I'm worried about my hamstring. And I'm also worried that I smell like a dumpster fire. So that's a thing also. Oh my god, I'm out of breath. I think I'm also forgetting to breathe. Okay, well, more soon. Okay, Uh, I'm backing up out of my parking spot. Uh, Don't hit anything. I just left this meetup with this human, this lady human that met on the internet and it was a really nice conversation, honestly. Lots of smiles, uh, lots of laughter, uh, very interesting person. Um, I don't know. What am I feeling right now? I don't know what I'm feeling. Um, my hamstring still hurts. <laughs> I'm feeling that. Uh, but yeah, it was like really fun, actually. Um, really great conversation. So I guess mostly I'm feeling like, I think rather than looking at this, you know, challenge to go out on a lot of first dates and meet a lot of people as this kind of like, uh, like bummer of a task or like this like arduous, hard thing or this thing that is like kind of making me like sad or mad or angry or something, you know, that I have to do this. Mostly like in the middle of dinner, I was kind of realizing that really like what I get to do is do what I love, which is to chat with people, learn about them and meet new people. And maybe because the challenge is to do like a lot of that, that it takes the pressure off of like, this has got to be like the classic John Hughes meet cute, like beautiful first date story thing. Anywho, that's it for now. Okie dokie. Dating update. I've never done like this back to back dating thing. You know, typically I'm, you know, I I like meet someone and then, you know, I go all in super quick and fast uh, and only focus on that person, one person, one woman for, you know, months and months. Uh, So this is a new experience, which is a little uncomfortable for me. I'm kind of like, hey, maybe there's a connection here. Maybe we'll just be friends. Maybe will be more than that but I can't tell after meeting someone for like 30 seconds which in the past I'm like oh it's the John Hughes meet cute or it's not and that's it period it's just like it's different so I feel uncomfortable 
but you know, if I want a different outcome, I have to do something different. So that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm saying yes to meeting new people. I'm feeling positive about this new kind of like system and new plan. So I'm really psyched on that. And that is really cool. Patty, do you always make date diaries? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, I just love the sound of my own nervous voice. No, man, that was super uncomfortable for me. But I don't know. I just wanted to have, like, something to commemorate this, like, big step in my life. Oh, well, would you like a participation trophy? Oh, my God, Elizabeth, just... <laughs> I can't. Oh, okay, well, I mean, dating seems like it's going well. Yeah. Except yeah. for your weird obsession with living in a John Hughes movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I mean, I love the origin stories of couples, you know, like the meet cute in the movies. Mm-hmm. That that um, charming first encounter between the two main characters that always leads to like a super cheesy and super duper adorable romantic relationship. Like, oh, uh, man. That is the hook. Like, that is my jam, man. Mm-hmm. I've always been kind of like hung up on having one in my own life. I mean, most of the couples I know, like my friends and my family members, like they have one. And maybe I've had a few in the past, but, you know, like those just have never panned out. Like those relationships always failed. Maybe my hang up like on the meet cute is actually the hang up here. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just still wondering like, what in the hell that initial meeting is really supposed to look like. And then the big thing is like, well, what are we supposed to do after that? (laughs) Okay, well, everyone, today we are going to try to answer that question. We're going to explore the next step of romantic relationships. What's the reality of building off that first connection? And how do we cultivate and maintain a partnership after that initial meeting? This is the second episode of Safety Third's mini-series about love in the outdoor community. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, we suggest you do that now. In it, we cover the realities of being single in the outdoor world. Okay, now let's jump headfirst into some adorable outdoor love stuff. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third. So this meet-cute idea is not something that only happens in the movies. It happens in real life, too. Take, for example, two of my friends. I had just moved back to Lander under pretty bad circumstances, and my world had kind of essentially just fallen apart on me. This is Annalisa Purdom. I had just had my heart utterly shattered, so I was... Um, I was in Lander and I was full of just this beautiful anger, lots of it. And I was kind of living this uh, reckless moment in my life. So it was on the 4th of July in Lander, Wyoming, which if, if you know Lander, you know the 4th of July is like the most intense day in this town. I was in Lander to perform at the Climbers Festival. And this is Chris Hampton. And I'm rolling up to Main Street, and I have one mission, and that mission is to find um, this family, kind of my second family in this town that I grew up um, nannying for. And they have three kids, 
And the 4th of July is just always better around kiddos. And I was on Main Street and I was with Amy Skinner. Amy Skinner pulls me over to her just so that I can shake hands. She ends up introducing me to this blonde girl in a sundress. Honestly, when I shook his hand, I was like, oh, great. Another random climber, dude. Who just looked like she didn't give a damn about anything else that was going on except for these kids. Cool. Whatevs. Nice to meet you. Which really kind of captured my attention. Then I just turned right around to go hang out with a bunch of kids in the middle of Main Street. You know, I had I had two weeks in Lander when I met her. And Every chance I got that I wasn't climbing or I wasn't working at the festival, I tried to get to know her better. I don't think we ever kissed. No, but I did I did take your top off. It wasn't a top, it was a dress that zipped up the back and he he knew I had tattoos on my back, but my tattoos were very covered by a dress that zipped up the back and in my no fucks given moment of my life. I'm like, well, you want to see my tattoos? Like, you're going to have to step into that bathroom, sir, and unzip the back of my dress. My game is strong. The night before I left, as I was getting ready to leave Amy Skinner's house and go to the bar, Amy said to me, go get that girl. And I went there sort of with that mission in mind. And she was dancing with her friends and hanging out. And so I tried to play my cards right and talk to her when it made sense. And I just didn't feel like I'd gotten to know her well enough by the time I left. I was still captivated by some of the things she had said to me. So I just... I wanted to come back and a friend of mine loaned me her car to drive to Lander and drive back. And that just ended up being our method. I came every few weeks to Lander, picked up my friend's car at the airport where she would leave it for me. Devaki, thank you. She's amazing. And, and I would drive to Lander, hang out with Annalisa for a day and then drive back to Salt Lake I was thrilled to get to know him and I was thrilled to be loved. He was the first person, man, who ever gave me like unwavering, undivided attention. And it was just to get to know me and get to know my life and my thoughts and my perspectives. Chris and Annalisa dated long distance for three months and then... Annalisa moved to Cincinnati, which is Chris's hometown and where he was raising his then 12-year-old daughter. Do you think that sounds maybe a little rushed and a wee crazy? Well, it wasn't for Annalisa. At that point, I couldn't live with not knowing what our relationship could be. Like I couldn't fathom living the rest of my life never having tried and never having found out. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I love it, I love it, I love it so much. <laughs> okay, like in your face, super loud off-actor origin stories. Uh, they make me feel like romance is alive and well. Okay, bring it back. God, I love this. Okay, they give me hope for my own love life. You know, it just seems like magical and serendipitous that two humans in this great, big, gigantic world of ours can 
meet and fall in love like that, it it hits me right in the center of like the ooey gooey feels. And it makes me feel like, I don't know, uh, fate or destiny like has them coming together. So you believe that people are meant to be together? No, 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 no. Like, I don't believe in the idea of the one. That is kind of bonkers to me. And I definitely don't believe that there's like some type of thing in life moving us around like chess pieces or like orchestrating our lives. That seems um, weird (laughs) to me. Like, I I get that you have to put in the effort yourself. I totally understand that. But I also, you know, I want to believe that there is something kind of magical and romantic happening and pushing people together. You know, I don't want to not believe in that. Does that make sense? So I get where you're coming from. And I mean, we can debate that till kingdom come. But right. meeting people is different than being together long term, which yeah, is totally. like what we're talking about here. To do that, you have to take chances and risks and face tough mm-hmm. realities. Yeah. And lots of relationships don't have that super cute initial meeting. Like Chris and I were just friends for a while. And then eventually I was like, oh, no, I think I like him. <laughs> Elizabeth, what's it like to write for Hallmark? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the thing is, though, that oh, like yeah. most people that I know, small sample size, obviously, <laughs> but most people that I know are like that. They have these really low key first meetings, too. Yeah, I know. I get that. But like, OK, Elizabeth, maybe Dreamweaver didn't start playing while everything went slow motion for you guys. But like there were still sparks there between you and Chris. Like, doesn't something kind of special need to happen and like happen pretty damn early i mean not in our case Uh, it was a very slow burn like we're talking a slow burn of more than a year okay but eventually you knew that something was there i mean can you ever really know something like that Uh, yes you can i mean Mm. right i don't know um no yes no. Okay. Thank you. Great. Look what you've done to me, Jesus. You're welcome. Uh, okay. So this is why we wanted to chat with a pro. Enter Annie Mayo. She's a professional matchmaker, and we figured if anyone knew anything about what to look for when you're looking for love, it would be her. And Annie is part of a growing industry of people trained to help us pair off. Matchmaking, dating coaches, online dating, they're all on the rise and they have no sign of stopping. In 2015, the industry was worth $2.5 billion and projected to hit $3.2 billion by 2020. Annie has been setting people up in Colorado since 2011. She currently runs the elite matchmaking division for It's Just Lunch. That's a national date-finding service that handpicks a lunch or dinner date for their clients. And Annie started off our interview with an interesting thought. Chemistry, that idea of chemistry and butterflies, you know, happening like right away. That is one of the hardest things that as matchmakers we run up against when I don't necessarily believe that you have to have that like chemistry and that that butterfly feeling on that first date. Really? Yeah. My husband, I thought he was kind of a goober. Like (laughs) I was like, he's not my type. I don't really want to go out with this guy again, but he was funny. And uh, I don't know. I, like, I just moved back from California. I wanted to give it a shot. We, went to the same high school. So I went out with him again. And each time I saw him, you know, there were other sides that I saw to him Hmm. that made me like him more and more. And I think that 
Well, I know that doesn't change once you're in a committed relationship. And once you get married, there's all these different levels that you hit. Deeper levels of like vulnerabilities and different sides of someone that you know. So that like that idea of like fireworks going off at first meeting, like you don't necessarily need that? I don't think so. I think that if you have a great time with someone, if you, you know, go into it, if you come out of a date and you feel as good or better than when you got there, yeah, I think it's always worth a second shot. So if you are like, okay, so there's some things that I really like about this person. There's nothing to lose by going out with them one more time. That's really interesting to me because I've basically my entire dating life have like felt like you need, yeah, like you need to have, there needs to be like some 4th of July fireworks going off in the background. I think the ultimate goal, you know, for the person you're going to marry or spend a lot of time with, you want to be with that person who's your best friend that you're attracted to. And attraction definitely can grow. So let's say you start out with somebody and you're absolutely crazy about them, like from minute one, where are you going to go from there? Like, like it's harder to get crazier about them for the next you know, 50 years, like when, instead of building slowly, you know, those are the relationships that last. About half of Annie's clients identify as an outdoorsy person looking for another outdoorsy person. And she says our community does face unique dating challenges when looking for the ideal partner. You know, if somebody's entire life, you know, is revolves around skiing and that's so important to them. Um, and the other person you know, cycles all the time. Sometimes that can be a little bit more difficult if you don't have any crossover. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously with like good communication and um, love and respect and all those things, you can overcome those. But I think it's about the expectation. If you expect someone to be able to do, you know, to ski as hard as you can or to dirt bike the same trails, I think that would be the issues that you could come up with. You know, people want to have shared interests. You know, I I think that some people place a little bit too much importance on having everything in common. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to have solo pursuits. You know, it gives you a little bit, a better sense of your identity, um, an individual, like an individualism within a couple. Yeah. Then once you're together, that complements each other. How do you stay uh, an active partner within a relationship uh, and also have an active self or an active individualism? Yeah. Communication is going to be crucial. Um, Making sure that your partner doesn't feel completely left out when you're doing things on your own. That being said, also taking time for each other. So don't spend all of your time outside of work or whatever your leisure time doing that one activity, you have to make time for your partner as well. Okay, okay, fine. The meet-cute might not be necessary. So what should I and other people on their person search look for in others and practice ourselves? Be compassionate, empathetic, sympathetic, um, you know, being able to be a good listener. You have to continue dating, throughout, no matter how long you've been together, you have to still date. You have to still Mm. surprise each other. Um, You don't want to get stuck in the mundane of just like, okay, we go to work, we come home, we cook dinner. You know, you want to still flirt and have fun. What Annie is saying here makes a lot of sense to me. You know, love is an ongoing thing and it continues to move. And that's what I found really inspiring about Chris and Annalise's story. 
When you both think back to how you met and to falling in love, what comes to mind? What do you feel? So that night at the bar, I was walking back to Amy Skinner's house, and I was walking along this this little river that runs through town here, and and a Nina Simone song. I don't. It's Nina didn't write it, but her version of this song was stuck in my head, and she's talking about wanting to travel with this person and and just wanting to get to know this person essentially so that song just ran through my head for the next hours and i i went to my computer i before i even went to sleep that night i got the song i chopped it up into samples and i made a beat using this nina simone song that then over the next week before I came back, I wrote and recorded a song to about that day uh, on the 4th of July. And, and then I gave her that song when I came back. It was like finally being able to breathe again and like you just take that beautiful gasp of fresh, crisp air and you're just like, fuck, yes, I feel alive. I feel lots of things that I feel like super alive and that life is is worth it. So how do you make sure that you still feel that today and tomorrow and forever and ever and ever and ever? To be perfectly realistic, I don't know that that's something you do need to feel every day, every moment, forever and ever. Um, if If you can find flashes of it, I think that's really important to have. And we try, I mean, we both follow our passions rather than just giving in to the other person's way of life. Then we come together and can share can share those passions with each other because we both understand it. And I, I feel like, too, we're a good balance of personality. Like Chris, he's a workaholic and would just like work himself to death if I didn't pull him out of that and remind him how beautiful everyday life is around us. So I don't know that the relationship has to continue being those 4th of July fireworks when it becomes something more grounded and stable and trusting. That's when I think it gets even better. Okay, so even though I love meat cutes, I hear and I understand what Annie is saying, and I totally get what Chris and Annalisa are also saying. You know, it's the long-term work that really counts, and that is really what makes a relationship. Well, I'm glad you finally got over your weird meat cute hang-up. <laughs> also, if you thought that having a meat cute was necessary, does that mm-hmm. mean you thought Chris and I wouldn't last? You monster. No. Oh, my God. Elizabeth, you guys do have an adorable story. No, we don't. I barely remember <laughs> meeting him. Like, oh it took, you know, like I said, slow burn for over a year. I mean, there's a picture of us from when uh-huh. we first met. And uh-huh. it's clear that there is no spark or anything happening because, like, we're seated next to each other <laughs> oh and I'm my. leaning way far away from him. Oh, my word. Elizabeth, what is wrong with you? You talk about your relationship. This is your husband. You talk about, like, you're going to buy a microwave or something. Like, I understand here that, like, 
after those first few dates, there's there's stuff that needs to get you into that real deal relationship. Right. Like Chris and I had to really work at our communication and we've made a right. lot of progress in the three years we've been together. For example, I no longer run out of the apartment when we're arguing and I've gotten much better <laughs> at controlling my facial expressions when I think he's making a point that's really? completely wrong. Yeah. I said I've gotten <laughs> okay. better. I didn't say I was a master okay. at it. <laughs> okay. uh, but our dynamic is still a work in progress. Like we're still mm -hmm. smoothing a lot of each other's rough edges off. Right. Yeah. And that to me, like that is the real crux. Like what does that work even look like? So to find out, we talked with a therapist who's been practicing marriage and family therapy for six years. And then we talked to a woman who decided to put that work into her own marriage. And those conversations are coming up after the break. Hannah Eaton worked with doctors John and Julie Gottman when she first started her career. The Gottmans have been studying relationships for nearly five decades. They're famous for creating the seven principles for making marriage work. They're things that healthy, satisfied couples do. Hannah eventually took the knowledge she gained working with the Gottmans and combined it with her love for the outdoors. She co-founded Sequoia Immersions with her husband. Their practice combines traditional talk therapy with couples' wilderness immersion retreats, like multi-day river trips in Utah, sea kayaking in Alaska, and backpacking in Yellowstone. All of her work in and around love has shown Hannah that the keys to success in a relationship are the same for folks in and outside the outdoor community. And you might be thinking, if you need couples therapy, that means the relationship is a dud, right? Nope. Think of it like this. If all you have is a hammer and you need a screwdriver, you head to the hardware store, right? Well, therapy is about expanding your toolkit. And that's what Hannah does. She gives couples new relationship tools. Like taking time to update one another on your inner world. Like, who are you and who do you continue to be? I think also a big part of it is this concept of turning towards. Like there are these bids for connection in our everyday life where basically a partner may reach out to us in small or bigger ways and couples to proactively are turning towards their partner who are responding to those bits, I think end up feeling a lot more connection. They feel heard and understood and like their partner values and respects them. I think just spending quality time together is so mm -hmm. important as well. You know, learning how to manage conflict, all relationships have conflict. So it's not about just trying to problem solve, but, really learning how to manage it in a way that can you both feel respected and understood through the process. Some other key pieces are just, you know, having shared meaning and goals together, having a sense of intimacy and romance and having fun together or all, all sorts of different elements. But those are some of the key ones. So then how can people tell within themselves that they're ready for a relationship? I don't think we're ever like, really 100% ready for, you know, to get married or for the perfect relationship or to have that child. But a huge part of it is being open, being open to learning about another human being, learning about yourself through the process, 
and being open to learn how you work within your relationship. Part of what Hannah is describing that figuring out along the way is striking that sweet spot of interdependence. For me and Patty and a lot of our listeners, finding a partner who shares our love of the outdoors is important. And this search for a shared passion is pretty standard. A 2016 study conducted by the Pew Research Center found that 64% of married couples said having shared interests is important to the success of a relationship. Right. And I get that, you know, because what the converse of not sharing things is what exactly? You know, for me, it's been a giving up of something I truly want or something that I truly need from my partner in order to, like, not rock the boat. And that is not a healthy thing to do because there's still, like, a huge imbalance there. So I think it is important to take time as an individual to identify those core needs and values and also the areas that perhaps you're a little bit more flexible on that aren't as big of a deal. If you are really outdoorsy and it's really important that you are going into the mountains every weekend or or taking bigger wilderness expeditions like once every quarter or so, and your partner like hates the outdoors and is not willing to go on any types of trips like that with you, that would make for a really, really challenging relationship because that would potentially require you to like give up on a part of yourself that you love and is essential and core to who you are. Spending a lot of time outdoors, you're exposed to like environmental challenges as well. This is a place that I think can actually strengthen the relationship and create more resilience, but it can also cause stress on a couple. I know my husband and I have, were on a big bike trip and we like ran out of water in the desert and we like couldn't find water anywhere. You know, it's, it causes a lot of stress. But you have the choice to like come together and face it as a couple, or you can let it get in between you. How much time together is best and how much time apart is best? It's really important to spend time together. So finding ways that you can spend time together while also honoring your individual interests. But I do think it's important to have a balance of together and individual time. So just figuring out, you know, what works for you as a couple Um, And not feeling guilty, you know, if you want to go take a weekend to do something with other friends that your partner's not as into, like, that's okay. Um, But making sure that you're also prioritizing the together time. You know, skiing is incredibly important to me. It is not just a thing that I do. It's really who I am. It's one of my chief identifiers. Do you think it would be a good idea for me to get a a prospective partner outdoors into a skiing adventure to see how we handle that experience? Yeah, if skiing is such a core part of who you are, it seems like it it might be important to have a partner who also appreciates it and is into it. Um, at the very least, who, like, who gets it and who respects that it's so important to you. And also recognizing that like, you know, if there are parts of it that don't go as well or you find that there's that big discrepancy in skill levels, like that's okay. That can be a key piece there. Like if you do go out with a partner, recognizing that the goal becomes about having quality time together while doing an enjoyable activity versus like the sport itself. So what does true 
real interdependence in a relationship look like? I think essentially it is, you know, knowing who you are, having a strong sense of self and having a strong sense of your partner and being able to both rely on one another to have that trust. Are you there for me? Have you got my back? Um, While also not over relying on them when you're at the place of realizing like, yeah, this person makes me feel really alive, really good. Like I can be even more myself around them exploring like what the next steps are together. Um, I think one of the most important things that I repeatedly share with couples I work with and friends is proactively talking about the relationship, like proactively checking in on a weekly, regular basis. So you're like, all right, how are we doing? How have you felt loved and supported by me? And like, how can I love and support you in this next week? It's taking time to, to check in and make sure that things are going well. And if they're not, if you're getting off course, to get back on course. And getting the relationship back on solid footing is just one in a series of ongoing steps. There's a point where two people just have to make the decision. Like, do we want to commit? Do we want to spend our lives together? Do we want to create an intentional family together? And also realizing that, you know, marriage and family um, and the romantic side of your marriage, it's not a one-time choice. It's a choice that you make every single day, every morning you wake up to learn how to best love, love your partner, to love your family. I get this need for a continual commitment to your partner on like an intellectual level, but what does it look like in real life? Enter Elise Rylander. She's the founder and executive director of Out There Adventures. It's an organization that takes LGBTQ youth on rad outdoor adventures. Elise and her wife Emily have been together since 2016. They married in the summer of 2019, and their relationship started with bonding over cheese curds. It's a Wisconsin thing. That's where they're both from. I get that. I'm like a deeply emotional level. Mm, 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 I love me some curds. And for those that don't know, cheese curds are moist pieces of cheese, usually deep fried and dunked in ranch, and they are delicious. Actually, I believe that cheese curd is Wisconsin's state bird. When you guys met, you know, you're like, oh my god, this woman's patella is near my patella and I love it. You're nailing this. This is exactly what happened. I totally, I totally, (laughs) totally understand that. And I understand also like in that moment, it's like napalm, man. It's like gasoline is going off in your heart. You know, you're just like just (laughs) 4th of July, just explosions and rockets and everything all, you know, it's like, um, this beautiful, wonderful, joyous symphony of emotion and happiness and just like excitement right and that's that's like that's like day one right there that gets you to today mm-hmm. but do you guys still have cheese curd moments oh yeah i think all the time and i think the best part of, about being with someone for a longer period of time is that those those cheese curd moments which is totally what i'm going to call them from now on so thank you for that you're um, welcome <laughs> And I hope some listeners call them cheese curds moments too. For now. <laughs> me too. Um, me too. <laughs> um, you know, it's 
when you walk past each other, you know, in route to opposite ends of the house and, you know, you happen to like brush something or whatever or um, walking up the driveway. I think when you're first dating someone, you know, there's just so much because you aren't around each other all the time. Those moments have to exist in in those times that you do spend together. But the benefit of being with someone and having them be a part of your your day to day is any any moment can turn into you know one of those those cheese curd moments. Um, and I think that we I think that might be another strong suit of ours is we're really good at stopping and and drawing attention to that you know and saying that to the other person um, if they happen to not to not be aware. So now it's like washing the dishes moments and getting out of the car moments and, you know, those sorts of things. Picking up dog poop moments. <laughs> that one's <laughs> maybe maybe not. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. I got it. You just absolutely turned me into a puddle. That was so good. Oh, my God. My heart feels so nice right now. Elise and her wife are living the things that our experts, Annie and Hannah, say are keys to lasting relationships. You have to know who you are and the things that you're bringing to the table, as well as understand the person or the people that you're interacting with and what they're bringing to the table in order to be able to work effectively together. And if you can't do that, I think that's the source of so many, so many issues, you know, and if you can't eventually get to that place not that everyone needs to know all the things, you know, and have everything unpacked uh, when they enter a relationship, but there has to be a desire to want to, to do that work um, and to understand that that's going to grow and evolve <clears throat> and change. And if you don't have a desire in, in working on that and being vulnerable and, and being um, able to create a space in which you can come forth with that vulnerability and, and work through it with with the other person or people involved, then I think it's really, really hard to do that good work and to create that sustainability. Well, what do you think are the things that are going to help you get to like your 50th wedding anniversary? A good sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) All things I think crash and burn when you cannot maintain a sense of humor about stuff. You know, we like that's something I love about our relationship is we can always bring it back you know, and yeah, I think I think that's so that's so critical when you start taking yourself so seriously that it prevents you from kind of seeing the bigger picture, the bigger joke. Um, I think you're in in a world of hurt when that starts to happen. How did you know, like, I found my person. This is the one I'm going to partner with this person and we are going to build a life together forever and ever and ever. I mean, the cheese cruise is a great start. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> as cliche as it sounds, and I know lots of people say this, but we really both just wanted to be better people for each other and for ourselves. I love the shit out of love. Oh. Patty, mm. you're being so glossy-eyed about this whole thing. Like, I feel like whenever we talk about love, whatever common sense you have just flies right out the window. <laughs> Oh, come on. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so I'm allowed to be a human, and humans are just skin bags of protoplasm and contradiction. I can contradict myself here. Like, I love kind of being naive and bubbly about all of this. You know, I don't want to lose that, you know. On one hand, I get it. I just want love to be all mushy and cheesy and all romantical. 
all of the time. But I understand that on the other hand, there's like these practical feet on the ground lessons here. You know, love is not a movie. And that's actually a really good thing. Most relationships aren't all fireworks and aren't all like ooey gooeyness at first. And it definitely doesn't look like that every day. You know, I think that is actually like a really unfair hurdle to put in front of me or to put in front of like really any two people that are trying to meet or trying to build that relationship. Yeah. And as we heard from Hannah and Annie, a great life partner doesn't necessarily equal a great adventure partner and vice versa. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a more realistic thing for couples who share passions to share time doing that passion together versus trying to hit some badass goal. Yeah. And I think the real target should be when two people say, yup, you are my person and I choose you every goddamn day and I'm ready to work on this every goddamn day. Like, that is the real deal thing that I love. Well, small note, I don't think it's so much work as it is an ongoing project that sometimes needs your attention more than others. To me, work makes it sound like a grind. And in my experience, some days are almost effortless. And then there are others that make you feel like you really need to be in touch with your conflict resolution training that you got from that one college seminar. <laughs> okay. No, no, like don't don't misunderstand me. You know, I'm not saying that relationships need to look like uh punching the clock at an Amazon fulfillment center or something like but for me, I think you need to be willing and really ready to like chop wood and carry water. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're always going to be surprises and you need to be ready for them. But I think like the underlying current in a relationship is a trust that this thing just works and that each person is in it as deeply as the other person is. Right. You know, what's clear from talking to our experts here is that there are some dynamics and practices that successful partners share. But the big thing really that stands out is that there's like no one way or right way to do this. But I think the next big question is how do you stay committed to that work and then maintain that love for the rest of your days? The answers to that are coming out, y'all, in our third and final episode of The Love Traverse. We're going to find out what it takes to preserve love and how to make it flourish for the long haul. We're talking decades upon decades, people. Hey, Elizabeth. Mm Mm-hmm. Knock, knock. Oh, no. Who's there? (laughs) Owl. Owl who? Owl always love you. (laughs) Okay. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guests today were Annalisa Purdom and Chris Hampton. To learn more about what they're doing, check out powercompanyclimbing.com. We also talked to Annie Mayo. To learn more about what she does, check out itsjustlunch.com. Then we talked to Hannah Eaton, and you can learn more about her work at sequoiaimmersions.com. And our final guest today was Elise Rylander. Her work can be found at outthereadventures.org. If you like today's show, then trumpet your love, friends. You know, Safety Third is kind of like a music festival. If you're not surrounded by people, well, then you're just kind of in a field eating a corn dog by yourself. So... 
grab your crew, and get weird together. Tell your friends and fam about the show, and if you have an idea for a guest, send us an email at hello at safetythirdpodcast.com. You can find us on the old Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Alex Park edited this episode. Music by my big brother, Brendan I Sweat Hot Dog Water O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, Safety Third. <laughs>